Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. You are responsible for the delivery of the team. At the end of the day, nobody really cares like how much you work. You can be working around the clock and it's not how great you are or what you produce. It stops being about you and it starts being about the function that you lead. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. In this episode, we have a conversation with Maria Latushkin, CTO at Omada Health, to discuss how to give up control and expand your impact as an engineering leader. Maria is responsible for leading Omada Health's technology, vision, and team. Prior to joining Omada Health and moving to the healthcare space, Maria has spent over 15 years in e-commerce, retail, and enterprise SaaS companies, ranging from Series B startups to large companies such as Walmart. Giving up control is about empowering other people to scale yourself and scale your effectiveness. Maria shares with us what it actually means to give up control, how to scale your effectiveness as a senior leader, and how to unleash your team's potential. Plus, you'll hear some of her strategies for clear communication and how to make sure everyone is on the same page and has a clear understanding. Enjoy our conversation with Maria Latushkin. Really excited about this topic. I think this is one of the very common questions and challenges when it comes to leadership. A lot of people are saying that when they were engineers or they were a junior manager, a lot of us were secretly thinking things will be easier if I'm the director, I'm the VP, I'm a manager. I can direct the decision-making process. But the opposite is often true, which is after you become a manager or become a senior leader, only to realize that actually I'm losing control instead of gaining more. Maria. Is that something that happens to you in the very early days? Do you see it happening in other people? And how does you get through that? That's such a good question. I really wish they taught it in school. I think it's one of those best kept secret. It's almost like some sort of a rite of passage that everybody has to go through it and get all of their scars and bruises and then have this aha moment. You know, I'm really glad that you're raising this because I feel everybody I know goes through this in different ways, but it's not easy for anybody. And I think that the way we encounter is different and the results are different, but everybody goes through this pain. In my history, what was really different, what I didn't realize, what was the biggest pitfall is that nobody tells you that the fundamental difference between being an individual contributor and being a leader is that as a leader, you're no longer evaluated on your own performance. When you lead the function, your impact is measured in the accomplishments of the team, not you as an individual. 
And that was something I, you know, years later came to on my own. And it was an interesting journey. I think in the beginning, I was a horrible manager. And my only saving grace was that I really cared about the people that I led. And I think that showed. But looking back at it, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh my God, how did they put up with me? And the thing is that it's a natural pitfall. Like you're an above average professional. You are an expert in your domain. You're used to being self-reliant. You're used to provide a high output. And then you start thinking that as a manager now, it's almost like you lead the project and now you lead the bigger project. And as a manager, you're now expected to provide this output, you know, the 10x of the output, because now you have the 10 people and you have 10 people worth of work. And I've seen it show up in different ways. Like one, I worked with the senior leader actually at that point once. The guy would just like go in a corner and code. And I would come up to him once in a while and go, this team is asking for this or that. He's like, oh, that's amazing. They're smart. They're going to figure it out. I'm like, no, they actually won't. They're waiting for a direction from you. Whenever there would be a problem, whenever there needed to be something to be involved in troubleshooting, he was amazing. That was his shining moment. But the rest of the time, he was the person in the corner. And most people actually didn't even know the position that he had, that he was leading the team, like some other people from the team would start leading it because there was a void to fill. So there's one way I saw it show up not in a great way. Mine was different. Mine was that I just felt that I was not responsible for everything and I had to do everything. And I was drowning in this to-do list that was just ever growing. And I remember this moment vividly. It was like 1130 at night. And I was sitting there looking at all of the things that were still due tomorrow. And I haven't even started them. And I had this thought, I was like, we're not really winning here, are we? And I realized that this is not sustainable. Something's wrong with the picture, like something's majorly wrong because I've gotten to a point where I realized that I can't, by working harder or putting in more of me, I'm not going to win. I need to change my approach. Then I started really trying to evaluate what are the things that are happening here? Like, where do I spend my time? What does my calendar look like? what is really important, what I should be doing. I started talking to other people and I started to try because I saw other people seem to have sane hours and being effective and they must be doing something differently, not the way that I was doing it. And then I realized that it's really about scaling yourself. So it's not the giving up control in the sense of you throw up your hands in the air and say, okay, I don't, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. I'm not responsible here. You're still responsible. You're still accountable very much so. And you have to figure out ways where you're doing this by scaling yourself, by not doing everything yourself and having to understand everything yourself, but knowing enough and knowing the right things in order for you to be effective. And I think that's really the secret that nobody talks about. And if you unpack the scaling piece, first of all, you have a much bigger span now. And at some point you're going to be like I was at 1130 at night, realizing that this is it. Like you've reached the end of your scalability. You can't work harder yourself out of this problem. You are responsible for the delivery of the team. At the end of the day, nobody really cares like how much you work. You can be working around the clock and it's not how great you are or what you produce. It stops being about you and it starts being about the function that you lead. And the more senior you get, the bigger your function, the more span of control you have. And therefore, it's less and less likely for you to be able to be an expert on every single area that you lead, every single specific of what you lead. And so you have to figure out how to empower your team and how to understand how the team works. 
your contribution or impact is no longer linear to the amount of hours you're putting in. If you're doing really well and empowering people, uh, you could spend less than eight hours a day and achieve a lot. Or you can spend 20 hours a day, no sleep, but the team is not delivering because your personal effort is no longer linear to the outcome of the team. That is true. And I actually think at some point, if you still work in the modus operandi of an individual contributor, it actually starts hindering the team. And that is the other part is that you're surrounded by, you know, your teammates are probably really smart. They're probably fantastic professionals. What they're looking for, they're looking for direction. They're looking for context. They're looking for a sense of purpose in order for them to be the best version of their professional self. And this is really what you're supposed to be giving them in order for you to amplify their performance. If you do that right, you could do it. And Jerry, as you mentioned, in it's not about the hours that you spend. You can do it pretty quickly if you find out what is it that is needed from you. And if you're able to understand how to unleash their potential, how to give them that direction, how to simplify the problem in such a way that will be clear and unambiguous, how to figure out the roles and responsibilities on the team. And if you do all of that, then you know off they go and they're being productive and they don't depend on you at that moment in time. And most importantly, you are no longer slowing them down because that's another thing. If you start hearing things like, oh, my leader is too busy. Oh, I can never find them. We're still waiting for a decision. That's really all code words for you not doing your job as a leader. People need to realize that by doing it right away, things will become a lot easier. And the first time people have that experience will reinforce the sort of muscle memory and encourage them to do more of that. But before getting to that epiphany moment, I think it's also interesting to find out what hold people back to thinking about my effort may be better spent empowering other people versus me working on a project or putting my own effort. What do you think is the factors or issues that hold people back from doing the right thing? Is that the lack of confidence or the worry that people may have a lower bar or there may be some other reasons as well? Engineering is an interesting profession with respect to leadership because we all come up into leadership, lots of us at least, from being individual contributors, specifically in the engineering discipline that teaches precision, that teaches perfectionism to some degree. And then when you become a manager and start dealing with 80% versus 20% or the vagueness or the broad strokes or insert your favorite keyword now, it's hard for people. And oftentimes, really acutely feeling that they are accountable for the result, the newly minted manager wants to do everything in the way that they know how, in order for them to feel that they have a path to success. They can be sure of the outcome. They're de-risking essentially their project. The problem that they don't see oftentimes is that this way they're not empowering their team. They're making their team work in a specific way that they're used to working. Even if they're surrounded with very versatile professionals that can be working in different ways, they're shoehorning everything in one way of thinking. And so they're really robbing themselves of having this diversity of thought and potentially much better solutions. But that's a natural, it's a natural way. And I see lots of people do that and then fumble the way out of it. The other part is that we, as humans, we tend to 
gravitate towards what's comfortable. And what's comfortable is what we know. And what we know is how to be an individual contributor because that's where we started from. And we were a very successful individual contributor and got promoted into management. And so without a very clear understanding that you actually are entering a very different job, people tend to think that, okay, I'm just gonna do the same thing that I always did, only faster, better, and more of, and with other people. And maybe at the end of the year, I need to write their performance reviews, but we will figure this out later because it's not the end of year yet. So there's this misconception, I think, about what this job really entails. The other part is when I talk to people and I say, hey, you need to empower the team or you need to set goals for them or this or that, until you live it, it's very difficult to really internalize it and understand what people in business books mean when they say you need to empower people. It sounds like a very fluffy word. Oftentimes, I see the skepticism in people's eyes when I say that to them because it doesn't even feel like a job. <laughs> like they say, hey, what do you do all day? Like you go to meetings and you seem to be talking to people. That's all you do. Like that's what you get paid for. Versus actually being able to have a project where you have a concrete problem and you have an artifact at the end. And so I think that there's, aside from this being uncomfortable and not very clear, there's also a little bit of resistance. Is this really useful? Should I spend my time this way? And eventually people get there, but it's a long road. And because there's really no formal kind of warning sign, hey, you're entering management. These are the best practices. These are the pitfalls. Nobody really does that. You're just being congratulated for being promoted into a manager. Moreover, very rarely do people actually get like a packet of their new expectations. Even that most of the time doesn't happen. You get congratulated and then end of the, some sort of a review period, maybe you're going to get an evaluation, say how you did, or maybe it'd be like, okay, the cycle's over. This is your feedback. It's hard to calibrate for people. And I think it's important to calibrate. It's important to really talk about what the new expectations are and what this fine line between accountability how much are you really driving yourself? How much are you supposed to do through people? I see the other one too. I see sometimes people say, okay, great, I'm a manager. I have a smart team. They'll figure it out. And their notion of being a manager is like presiding over their team without even really knowing what's going on there much. And that's the other one. That's the other side of the coin where people say, I don't want to be the micromanager. I don't want to tell them what to do. And they let go too much to a point where they actually just drop things. The end effect is the same. People don't get the direction. People don't know which way to go. Some people start feeling the void. Some people just start floundering. And at the end of the day, the warning signs may take different forms, such as people quitting all of a sudden or projects slipping all of a sudden, or peers of this person saying, hey, do you know what's going on in your team? You know, and God forbid, eventually their manager going, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. But the actual golden middle, the balance of figuring out how to be accountable, how to know what's going on without being a micromanager, without feeling you need to have all information, like that's the trick. It's obvious it takes a major failure or burnout before people can realize, okay, what I thought was wrong and I probably need to try something different. And a lot of times I've seen people really have the good intention by working long hours and working on the things themselves. They want to protect the team and they feel they're doing the right thing. 
But what they don't realize is that it may suffocate the team by not giving direction, by not giving room for them to try to fail. I actually had a colleague back in the days who was a new manager, and he just do everything and like sleep really late every night, even taking up on calls as a manager of a large team. From distance, you can literally see what is wrong. But being on a position himself, and it just takes a long time for that person to realize the way he managed the team needs to be changed. And I've seen that very often that people go through a big failure to realize. Is that something you personally experience yourself as well, or you are ahead of the curve that before a major burnout, I realized that I need to using the rabbit to manage a team. It was never this spectacular event that was so horrible. I can make a good story out of it. It was little things, and my biggest realization was I was a senior leader at that moment, and I was talking to somebody. I was trying to get them to come over to my team, and also as a senior leader. And the person said, "You know, Maria, let's talk about your management style."、I'm, oh my goodness, let's talk about my management style. Like that's interesting. And the thing that person. Told me was so interesting to me. And granted, you know, last time we worked together was a long time ago, and I was actually a first line manager. And that's how I realized how I showed up. I was really great at protecting people. I was really great at picking up the slack. I actually wasn't micromanaging them, but I was always catching stuff. And by catching stuff, I really never let people fail. Safely, therefore, they never had the chance to grow. So they had their own achievements. But in terms of professional growth and how to become stronger professionals, stronger engineers, because I wasn't letting them fail, because I wasn't letting them getting their like minor cuts and bruises, there wasn't as much of professional growth for them. And that was a very interesting realization for me. That was the moment where I was like, okay, it's great to hear. Because I was in a different setting then, and my job was different, and the people that I would manage were already more seasoned professionals. Just because I was a more senior leader, but I took that with me and thought about the ways that I can actually think about my day-to-day job as a playing field for figuring out ways for all of my team members, regardless of how senior they are, to grow and to gain more skills. Like, what would be the next thing that they could take that would stretch them a little higher and a little higher and a little higher, even if they're already completely amazingly seasoned professionals? Because there's always something that we can learn. There's always some direction we can stretch ourselves, some more ground we can cover. And so now, that was probably the most useful piece of. Advice unintentionally that I've ever gotten, and I really changed the way I manage now. So you mentioned you give up people's opportunity for greater professional growth by not letting them fail safely. Are there other trade-offs that happen, or things that you give up when you try to maintain too much control? At some point, you just can't do it, and that was like my feeling at that eleven thirty at night when I was like, "This is it. I can't take it. There's not enough hours in the day." So there's that. The other part is you don't get diversity of opinions. You don't get the diversity of solutions because the more you do yourself,、uh, the more everything is done your way. And there's always better ways. You also don't grow as a professional yourself because you just continue doing things your way. And so what I also realized. For me, it was. I'd like to say that I'm like so evolved and so smart, and I just figured it out that this is a better way to manage. With me, what happened is that I started picking up areas where I actually didn't have the expertise, and I couldn't be the person with all the answers just because I didn't have the expertise. And that taught me to listen. 
I had to listen because I had no answers. And then I realized that even when you have the answers, even when you think you have the answers and 9% of the time, you probably do have the right answer. That 10% is what is a gift because that 10% does two things. It enriches you. You learn something new. I found so many different ways of doing things by just listening and seeing what people come up with. And then for people, it also stretches them because if you're always given the answer, you don't get to grow. You don't get to think. And you just start being conditioned that you're just going to go talk to your manager and your manager is going to have the answer. So why even bother? And so the listening part, the expanding your horizons through having other people do it in a way that surprises you. And so many times it's so much better than whatever I would come up with. I just think that is such an important thing to highlight there in all of the things that you give up when you try to do it your way. It's both sacrificing your own personal growth, but also it's sacrificing the growth of other people and also your ability as a leader to expand yours and your team's capacity for impact by giving them those opportunities to grow. The other thing is that you mentioned impact. So if you have a function and if you work crazy hours trying to do things your way, the way you know, And just by yourself, there's like some unit of output you're going to produce. If you empower your people, if you delegate, there's going to be some linear increase to more output being produced. But if you also stop and create thinking space for yourself and you empower other people to do things in a different way, all of a sudden you can actually come up with something really great. And I do believe that when we hear about breakthroughs or read in medium blog posts about the amazing things some team did, that comes from thinking space. That doesn't come from going to 16 meetings a day. And you have to create that thinking space. You have to create the creative space for your teams to do things in a different way, in an unconventional way. And you have to create that culture. And the only way to create that culture is by exercising the muscle of thinking for yourself and doing things differently and for it to be okay within the team to have different approaches to problems, different way to solve a problem. And you as the leader to reward that because the other really important part is in terms of the culture that you build is what do you reward? There's three things that I look at. What you actively reward, what you passively reward by either not paying attention or by letting it happen and what you actively do not allow. And those kind of three gradations shape the culture of the team. And so the more you let go of the control and you turn it into influence, you turn it into still knowing what's going on, keeping pulse on what's going on, that's important. You don't want to be tone deaf, out of touch, the person that just like decorational and doesn't bring any kind of direction or doesn't set the tone, doesn't do much. Like you don't want to be that person. I'm sure we all have like that person somewhere that we've met in our careers and we don't want to be that. You want to be the impactful and influential leader, but to do that, you don't want to be controlling every aspect of what is going on. That's also where innovation is certainly come from by encouraging the team to try different things and also trying different things yourself. I think that's really important. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. 
These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I want to go back to an earlier point you made that is a major factor preventing people from giving up control. How people used to manage or perceive their performance. As I see, that's tied directly to the feature delivered, the problem you solved. But as a manager, they feel, even though they spend a lot of time meeting people, having the right conversation, and making impact, but they don't feel that way. They feel like I didn't do anything. I just have a bunch of meetings. But I think that perception is also a major factor preventing people from doing the right thing. Can you share some insights on that as well? Yeah, I actually went through the whole spectrum. And I remember early on, a really smart person told me, that person was a senior leader. I was like a junior VP. And the person told me, it's like, you know, I understand your struggle because it feels that all you do in their days when you feel like all you do is, you know, you made a phone call here or you sent an email there. That was like back in the day when phone calls was a big thing where you had a meeting here and you go home thinking I didn't do much. And the person's like, Maria, your job is no longer like how many projects you do or how many documents you write. It's actually about empowering people. It's communicating, setting the vision, it's communicating the vision, it's making sure that people feel invested in what they do, and then they produce that document. And I was, I had that moment of disbelief, like, really, that's what the job is? Interesting. I'm like, how do you then measure the success? And the person, sometimes it's instantaneous, and sometimes it takes months. And I still remember like that day when I heard, and this is really interesting, because I do think I will have to rethink how I measure my own success. It's not what I've accomplished at the end of the day, but I still need to figure out ways to measure it. And that was the moment when I realized that all of the things that people talk about OKRs and when they say, okay, I need to set objectives, I need to figure out key results. That was the moment when it clicked for me as in that's why they matter because sometimes you start working on something today where you're gonna see the end result at the end of the quarter And in order for you to know whether you're going at the right pace and in the right direction, and if others are going with you, this is the vehicle by which you break down the problem, simplify the problem, and then are able to create those mile markers of sorts where you're going in the right direction. And if you have, imagine you're walking like a trail and you have all this equipment with you, and at some point you're tired and you have to give something up, like how do you prioritize what's most important, what's least important in in the world of goals? What is this one goal that you need to hit versus five other ones that maybe it's okay to miss? And then you communicate. And then you also need to make sure you communicate this vision, you communicate the different pieces of the problem that you broke down, And then the also really important is to understand whether people actually heard the same thing you were trying to say. That's another big aha moment that I had was when I realized that just because I said something doesn't mean that people got it. And it also doesn't mean that they've interpreted it the same way. 
the way I learned this is I was sitting in a meeting and I couldn't understand why like there's a bunch of really smart, really well-wishing people and we just don't get anywhere. I'm like, what is going on here? And there's a couple of things and I started asking and asking and then finally it's like you're pulling the thread. Finally, I understood that we had a bunch of problems. There was one where everybody thought it was somebody else responsible for it. They would have done it, but they were thinking somebody else is doing it. Okay, Maria, lesson number one, you should be really explicit about who the owner is. There was another problem. They were like, oh, was that for this week? Oh, okay. And they would have done it, but they didn't realize that just because I didn't say when I wanted it, that didn't magically you know, translate in their head into certain deadlines. So being explicit by when you want things is actually not micromanaging, it's setting expectations so that people can prioritize their own work. There was another moment of what was the artifact they weren't sure. So being explicit about what is it that you expect. And also, especially when you work with high-level people, with sophisticated people, sometimes they have a different way of doing something. And maybe the artifact, what they were going to produce is actually better than what you wanted them to produce. So checking back and seeing and giving some freedom as long as the expectation on like in general are clear of what we're trying to do here they might have a different how. They might have a different way of accomplishing the same thing that is, in my experience, much often is better than what I had in mind. And so we figured out when things are due, who's responsible, what is it that we are going to produce, and they would talk to me about how they were going to go about it. Things gotten so much better. When you were confirming people's listening, is there a specific question you do to make sure that everybody's on the same page and heard the message that you were trying to communicate? It depends on the subject. It's a great question. Sometimes I send follow-up notes and I say, hey, this is depending on how official we are, like how big the meeting is or whatever else. Like sometimes it's formal follow-up notes. Sometimes it's something to just acknowledge this is what I think we're going to do and then have people react to it. And so what happens is they either react to it and say, oh, this is not what I heard. And then that starts a very good conversation. Or they have something to then come back to and have almost as their list of things to do, right? So there's that. Sometimes I ask people how they would go about something. So I'd say, hey, this is our new goal. Tell me more about your mile markers. Tell me more about how are you going to go about it? And when they start describing their process, you start seeing if they really heard what you said. I think, especially when you're talking about giving people freedom, as long as the expectation is met, I really appreciate the phrasing of those two questions in that you're not trying to micromanage and be like, are you doing the thing that we talked about? But it's more so, here's what I think, what do you think? Or how would you go about something to get a sense of their process? And it gives people the freedom to answer and to then have ownership over that response. The other thing is that, Speaking of freedom, what I think is really important, you do want people to fail a little bit because that's how they're going to get those cuts and bruises, but you need to make sure that they can fail safely. So you have to pick situations that are not going to be career limiting for them or that they're not going to have so much perceived the real importance that the person just wouldn't know how to move and they would be paralyzed by the weight, the magnitude of what they need to produce. And something that you also know that if anything, you can correct for them or somebody else is going to step in so that you as a manager also not stressing them out by covering and saying, we're done yet. And then you give them something bigger and then you give them something bigger. And that also allows you to 
give them freedom and at the same time be able to see how much they can handle. So back to your point about the freedom is, at some point, you're going to know. You're going to know the capacity of the person you're working with. You're going to know their velocity. You're going to know how self-aware they are. And so you can just give them a goal. And that could be even a goal that's due in three months. And you never have to check because they're going to do it. With some other people, you would just break it out more. And then maybe you'll say, hey, when do you want to check back on like the first 30% of whatever that mile marker would be? And so you figure out ways where you can safely check so that your check-ins do not become critical. They're not going to become about the missed expectations or milestones or something else. They're going to be more of being able to see if we're in the right trajectory. And that will also create the psychological safety for the person to come to you more and for you to discuss that project a little bit more than if you are that manager that always criticizes and always says you missed something again. This is essentially how you're still going to maintain a certain level of control that are necessary as a leader to own the outcome of a major project or a major initiative by understanding the people in the team, what's the capacity they have and how they do things. And that's sort of the counterbalance of what happens if I just totally get out of control. So you don't give up all the controls, but still have the insights and have the feedback in some other way. And I think the example you just gave is really helpful. So when you first realize that my way of doing things is not right, maybe I will try to take out too much control and to give up a little bit. Does that uh, happen only once in your career, probably as people transition from IC to manager, or that actually happens every major transition, for example, manager to senior manager or uh, a director to VP? You just, I never really thought about it, but you just made me think about something interesting. I don't think it's necessarily the control as much as your own personal identity. Like you have been reward you've been good at something you've been rewarded for it there's a certain association of self-worth to something in how you drive results in how you achieve success and every time you go to a different level or your job becomes slightly different that is no longer not only sufficient sometimes it's not what you're supposed to be doing But the stretch between that moment, between, okay, so the old tricks are not advised anymore. What is the new thing? And until you get comfortable understanding what your new purpose is, what your new role is, what your new goal is, outside of your title, so what is this whole thing all about? That is the uncomfortable moment. And it definitely happens to me every time. The only thing that with age and experience that has changed is how long I spend in this uncomfortable, weird moment. Like I strive to get it to maybe one weekend. We're still working on it. But the idea is that you're trying to minimize it and you're trying to have enough understanding about what you're supposed to be delivering in your new phase, in your new state faster. And that will allow you to then starting to let go of the previous things that you were rewarded for. What I try to do now for my leaders is I try to explain whoever I identify as somebody who I would like to grow to the new stage. I try to show them what the new role is going to be about, and I try to let them practice those to the extent that it's possible to shorten this transition so that they would know what the new shoes feel like, what they're supposed to be doing in their new job, and they have more of a plan or at least more of a feeling of how they should be. And that I've seen 
shorten the transition. So my advice would be to anybody who wants to step in in the new role is try to see, talk to somebody who is in that role, have more of a conversation, understand what works, what doesn't, collect some different perspective on what different people say this role entails, and then see how you can practice this in the current level, that N plus one level. It won't hurt, right? Because if anything, you're just going to show up differently. You're going to show up as a more senior leader than what your current title suggests, and you're going to already start practicing the new moves. I just wanted to make one quick comment, Maria, about what you mentioned about how your whole self-worth and identity is oftentimes tied up to what you're rewarded at for being successful. And so I think what's interesting then is if somebody now is being measured by a different set of criteria and they're not doing well at it, and then you become critical of them for not succeeding, you're almost threatening their identity, which makes it much harder for them to change behavior. It is so true. I see that all the time. That was actually the number one reason why I started over-indexing and creating career letters with explanations of what's expected and grooming people into their new roles beforehand, because I really don't want to have this conversation with somebody who was five minutes ago was successful and three minutes ago was rewarded and two minutes ago felt so great about themselves. And now you're like, yeah, that's not what you're supposed to do here, but you never told them what they were supposed to do. Or you said it in such general terms that it really meant nothing to them. And so grooming people into it and making sure that it's like super clear what's expected. And sometimes it's just, sometimes it's things that are really difficult for people to relate to. I had a conversation with somebody where I was, okay, it's great that you've created this presentation and now you're going to create three more, one for the executives and one for the engineers and one for the middle management and one for somebody who is not technical. And they looked at me like I had two heads and they're like, Maria, isn't that a giant waste of time? I'm like, nope, that's your new job. Because now you have to make sure that you're able to speak to people the language that they're going to be receiving information in. And if you're going to come in with the same message and the same format and talk to different audiences, it's not going to land. And if it doesn't land, that's the moment when you fail, because now there are going to be all these people that are either not aligned with you or don't have the direction or are less likely to approve what you're asking for, depending on what their jobs are. Now you're creating it in three different formats or whatever it was for different formats. And that's the moment where you really have to spend time explaining why, because otherwise it does feel like you're asking them to do something that's just a giant waste of time. I wanted to call out one thing that you had mentioned right there that I think is so important. It's the idea of speaking to people with the language that they'll be able to receive the information and that like, I think underneath all of this in communication to do that is so critical to everything that we're, we're talking about. Yes, I'd say that the two things I've listened that might feel counterintuitive is one is this communication and then the other one is listening. You as a leader have so much more impact, but so much less ability to find the time to spend with the people to produce this impact. What do you have a town hall here and maybe some department meeting there, depending on the level that you have. And so making the best out of the moments that you have with people, being really clear in how you communicate and create those messages and communicate the messages. And also listening, not just for the things that people are telling you, but the things that are not telling you. Listening for the pauses in the conversations, the words that people use, 
how different people describe the same situation. This is gold. I often ask the same question to like five different people and then I try to weave a narrative and it's almost like having five different lenses pointing at the same landscape. And that allows you, first of all, much more connected to your team and peers and anybody you work with, but also not to be tone deaf or like one-sided in how you perceive the facts. You mentioned a few things people can do to game of control and empower other people. There are other things that you can share with the audience, what we can do. What people can do to empower the team? Yeah. Um, I think being very clear on the outcome you expect and why you expect that and how that's gonna create the impact. We all work hard and now in shelter in place, it's more isolating, it's more difficult, things blend one into another. And so when you ask people to do something, being mindful of the fact that this is yet another thing that they're supposed to do, you want them to be excited about it, genuinely. And then they're gonna bring their A game. And so connecting the dots for them in how what they're doing the outcome you're expecting, how that outcome is connected to the bigger impact for the company, that's important. I would over-index on this. One of the two things is going to happen. Either you're going to realize that what you're asking them is not important, so there you go. Now you don't have to ask them to do this. Or you're going to believe in it yourself and then be much more effective in communicating why that's important and also creating psychological safety for them to bounce ideas off of you, to talk to you about how they might get there so that you gain confidence in them being actually able to get there. And then for them also to have confidence in their way being at least good initial steps, or maybe they're going to describe the whole way to you. And then there you go. Like then they can go off on their own and do wonderful and amazing things and then feel also safe and welcomed to come back to you with either questions or course corrections or anything else. And now we cover a lot of about why it's important to give control and it's okay to do that and how to do that. Before we wrap up, I really want to also touch on how it feels now that you have been ghost representation many times and see other people doing that. Is that horrible to lose control? How do you feel? Do you feel liberating or what? It's interesting you say this. I don't feel like I'm losing control. I think that I'm letting go. It feels like if you have a rope, and you either hold on to the rope for the dear life, and it's like it's a tightrope, and it burns into your fingers, or you have slack in that rope. So it's not about, I don't feel that it's the loss of control. It's this feeling that you still got the rope, but there's slack in the rope. It doesn't hurt your fingers. And if need be, you can always make it tighter, and you can always get there. So the trick for me is always knowing enough kind of on the surface to know where and when you have to go deep. Professionally, it's important to be able to go deep. You don't want to be deep all the time, but you need to know when to go deep. The trick is to go deep about five minutes before other people notice that you should have gone deep. (laughs) And then you're okay. Like you never want to be five minutes after others notice. And this way you don't spend, you know, your, in this analogy, your whole time underwater, but you also are able to either help the team or mediate the situation or troubleshoot or do whatever it is that you need to do when you need to do it. And then it feels great. It feels like you have this thinking space. It feels like you have the time to create something new, to innovate, and you don't feel like you actually are losing control. You're just giving it up a little bit. 
And that's a very good analogy. My dad once on a rope swing didn't let go of the rope and had his hands and basically dragged him all the way down the rope and got severe rope burn and ripped off all Ouch. the skin from his hands. Yeah. So you telling this story, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have this horrible <laughs> image in my head. This is so true. So thank you for that. It was an incredible analogy. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Here's a quick recap of our takeaways from our conversation with Maria Latushkin. The biggest difference between being an IC and being a senior engineering leader is you're no longer evaluated on your own performance. And your impact is no longer linear to the time you spend. Your impact is measured by the accomplishments of your team. Giving up control is not about giving up responsibility or accountability towards your goals or outcomes. The more senior you get and the bigger your function, you have less time and less ability to be an expert. So giving up control is about empowering other people to scale yourself and scale your effectiveness. To unleash your team's potential, give them a sense of purpose, context, direction, clarify roles and responsibilities, and simplify problems so they're clear and unambiguous. Humans gravitate to what's comfortable, and new managers default to the behaviors and patterns that made them successful as an IC. But defaulting to your one way of doing things completely robs you of diverse thought and potentially better solutions from your team. The more you do things your way leaves no room for new ideas. You miss out on professional growth because you continue to do things your way. And when you resist giving up control as a manager, if you're always just catching stuff, you don't let your team fail safely, and this limits their professional growth. When you don't have expertise in an area, start listening. And even if you have the right answers 90% of the time, listening for the other 10% is a gift because it enriches you and it conditions your team for ownership and growth. When you empower your team, one hidden side effect is you actually create more thinking space for yourself, giving you the opportunity to create better ideas. The discomfort of giving up control happens at every transition to a new leadership level. Your identity and self-worth have been associated with certain rewards and behaviors, so when you move up and the quote-unquote old tricks don't work, you have to change your identity as a leader, and that is uncomfortable. To shorten this transition, talk to someone who's in that role to understand what works and what doesn't, and then practice those behaviors and what the role entails while you're in your current role. Okay, so you've given up control, and your performance is no longer measured by the number of projects you do, the documents you write, and you won't see results likely until the end of the quarter. So how do you influence and manage performance now that it's dependent on your team's effectiveness? The first thing you can do is break problems down to simpler forms and create milestones along the way. OKRs are a really effective methodology here. Prioritize your goals by what's most important and least important and be explicit with what absolutely must be accomplished. Communicate your vision, how you're breaking the problem down and why you prioritize your goals that way. In planning meetings, communicate the clear outcomes you expect, why you expect them, and how that creates impact. Linking to impact is what creates energy and excitement. And make sure you leave that meeting with explicit owners, clear deadlines to help prioritize the work, the specific artifact to be produced, and then give them space and freedom with how they'll accomplish the goal. This will likely lead to a better result than what you had in mind. How can you make sure that people heard you? 
so that you know that you're all on the same page. One thing you can do is send a follow-up note with, this is what I think we're going to do, and then have them react to it. They'll let you know if they heard something different. You can also get insight into their process by asking them questions like, tell me more about your milestones. Tell me more about how you're going to go about it. They'll then describe their process, and you'll be able to see if you're aligned or not. Listen not just to what people tell you, but also to what they're not telling you. To get a general pulse, Maria often asks the same question to five different people to get a better picture of what's going on in her teams. And if you've properly empowered your team, make your check-ins about trajectory, not criticism. This environment creates psychological safety. They'll come to you more to discuss the project. Giving up control is about empowering your team and unleashing their potential. When you give them a sense of purpose, simplify problems, listen, communicate clearly, allow them to fail safely and grow, you'll find you never actually gave up control. But what you've done is you've given yourself more space to think, innovate, create new things, and expand your impact. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.